This is the Voice of Business, a podcast from the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, sponsored by Worcester Regional Airport, in partnership with the Telegram and Gazette. From the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, this is the Voice of Business. I'm Emily Gowdy Backus. We're starting off our show today with Natalie Rodriguez, the owner of the new hit restaurant here in Worcester, Nuestra. Natalie, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Can you talk to me a little bit about how long you've been interested in food production and since when you knew you wanted to open a restaurant? Um, <clears throat> well, that's a, a broad question for me. Um, <laughs> I think I've always just kind of cooked since I was little. Um, years ago, I was on uh, MasterChef uh, Season 2. Well, I got flown down to L.A., got Top 100. Awesome. Didn't get an apron, but I'm hoping to get some redemption now from, sure. from Gordon Ramsay at some point in life. If you invite um, him down to the Wor- to Worcester, we'd love to see him. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of where the flame for, like, cooking kind of really came about. Um, and then I think I just decided um, I was in healthcare field for a long time, and I decided that uh, what was the one consistent thing after I was no longer working in the healthcare field that I wanted to do, hospitality was it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and got my associate's degree, um, finished off, just dropped out of you know, nursing school, and <laughs> I didn't want to do it anymore. And so um, uh, a way to get through school was cooking, so I was making my own meals for people out of my home. Sure. Um, and I created a small following, and from there... Um, I worked a couple other positions, was able to, you know, manage a restaurant at a hotel. Um, and then I just decided the opportunity presented itself and just jumped for it. I'm always so impressed with those people who jump at opportunities like that. I don't know if I would have been able to leave nursing. Like you're in the middle of your degree and then you switch boats and you go and do something else. Yeah, I completely switched, um, and was taking 18 credits a course, 18 credits a semester for two years to finish it off. Graduated with high honors, but it was fun. So it was it was different. I knew that's what I knew. I was in the right spot when I was getting you know 4.0s in all my classes, <laughs> including business law. And I'm like, okay, well, this is because it's fun. So right, right. yeah, congratulations. That's Thank wonderful. You. What was the timeline like in terms of? that switch when you decided to change courses from nursing to culinary and hospitality to uh, earlier this month when you when you opened the business? Um, I would say it was about uh, three years uh, total. So I would say three years ago, I was no longer working in healthcare. Uh, decided to finish off my degree. I finished off my degree last May. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I'm sorry, May of 2018. So mm-hmm. it's going to mm-hmm. be two years now in May. Okay. Um, I worked, I helped open up the new MGM in Springfield as a banquet manager. So it was, banquets has always been something I've always done since I was 15. Mm. I won't show my age, but for a long time I've been doing banquet stuff. You like um, parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parties, like <laughs> waitressing. So it's yep. always been just a side job that I've always done. Um, and so that switch, um, in that time is when I was doing a lot of like plates and food and doing small catering jobs mm-hmm. and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so after I graduated in May, it was go time. I helped open up the MGM, and then I was working at the hotel for about a year, okay. uh, a little over a year from there until um, this past. So then August, we decided to rent out the space, and mm-hmm. well, here we are now in January and finally finally opened. I want to talk about the space in just a second, but three years is a really long time I'm for for someone to sort of build a, a dream, to put it sort of cornily, but um, from idea to execution— 
what would you say to other people who are going down that path and just haven't quite gotten to the end yet where you are in terms of, you know, opening, having a great reception at your ribbon cutting and, and, you know, welcoming people into this new space. How, how did you get through it? I think that three years wasn't necessarily the plan for the restaurant. Okay. Three years was the start of my motion out of healthcare into gotcha. what I've always kind of wanted to do, which would would have been hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just set myself up. So any advice that I would give, and I give it to my friends and people who ask me stuff all the time, how did you do school with three kids and, and you know, 18 credits and um, executing, um, planning. I have a planner. I literally bring it everywhere with me. <laughs> um, so executing, writing out your plans, writing out your thoughts, what are your dreams, what are your, what do you want in life? Mm-hmm. Uh, the restaurant wasn't something that was in the plan, mm-hmm. um, but it was something that being my own boss was. Okay. So I knew that once I graduated, I needed to set myself up, and I did that. I was able to open, you know, get this amazing job that all these people went for, and I got, you know, one of the positions. Um, and then I was able to, you know, become a food and beverage operations manager, mm-hmm. which is also a, a big a big deal. Um, so, you know, being able to get that job kind of helped me get the experience, get the knowledge that I needed. I had some really good mentors um, and some great professors that helped me through just learning different things I needed to learn. Um, so then when this pers- opportunity presented itself, I was prepared for it. I was ready for it. So, Okay. So let's talk about the space now. It's over near Webster Square in that neighborhood? Yes. Okay. Um, it's that right down uh, Webster Square before James Street, but right after um, Webster, pa- Webster Square Plaza. Perfect. And you were describing it earlier as small but intimate. You seat 24 and then 8 at the... Um, we see we see 24 total with the okay. 8 at the counter. Uh, we built the counter in there. It was a small pizzeria. We put... Took all the booths out um, and then put two top tables. That way we can accommodate as the flow comes in. This past week we had a group of 10. uh, We had a group of six. We had a group of eight. So we just kind of moved the tables wherever we can move them. And everybody seems to be happy with it. People are excited to just come sit, eat, or take it to go, or, you know, sit at the counter. Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, And I saw on Facebook that there's a lot of bright colors, liveliness. You really decorated the inside of it just to be this nice, warm, inviting place. Yeah. We wanted it to be warm. Um, The whole theme behind everything was Abuela's food. Um, My grandma taught me a lot of different things to um, cook, and I have a lot of her original recipes. Uh, So one thing that we wanted everybody to feel was like kind of being... The setting in there is kind of like being outside of, like, you know, a, a, a house, like a casita oh, sure. yeah. in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the kind of feel. We built the countertop to look like a little hut. So that way you can kind of feel like you were kind of outside. Our plates, mm-hmm. we have um, some palm leaf plates mm. um, so that they're, you know, and uh, not energy, eco-efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, they're disposable, but they're really cool at the same time. So um, just kind of that whole feeling of just, you know being welcoming and, and inviting the way, you know, your abuela would have you. Right. I'm glad you brought that up because what I'd been hearing is that everyone's touting it as abuela or grandmother's cooking. Yeah. Um, is there an abuela in the story of you falling in love with food and Puerto Rican food in specific? I think I've always, I mean, I remember being a kid and just my great-grandmother, I remember just peak peeling at her, um, pe- uh, taking bits of her cilantro when she would grow it <laughs> on the windowsill. So I think I've always had, like, this fascination with cilantro and cooking. But um, they've they taught me things. I remember my grandmother when she, um, my grandma Maria, when she was passing, um, you know, in hospice last year. I remember when she got into hospice, I told her, you know, grandma, there was one thing that I said, I'm not ready for you to go. There's still things that I haven't learned yet. 
And she sat down, and there was, I'm like, there's two recipes that I still don't have that I need. And she <laughs> sat down with me, and she gave me the recipes, and she sat, walked me through everything, and gave me her descriptions, you know, down to the moisty. It would, you know, those were her, her, her words, and those are the words that I have written down on my recipes and stuff. And those as are well. the memories that you'll have forever. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you remember which recipes those were specifically? Uh, one specific was arroz con dulce, which is a, like a rice pudding mm-hmm. uh, with coconut. And so she Ooh. walked me through that whole process and how to you know make it and and I, I tested it out and I brought it to my dad and and and, and um, that was his mother and my aunt Gladys and and um, they both tried it and, and I got the good response I got the thumbs up nice. and it tasted just like mom so oh good you always want to get that a okay awesome so let's transition from there and go right into the menu what is it structured like do you have um, you know appetizers entrees desserts uh, that arroz con dulce sounds amazing yeah. Um, yeah, what, what's on there? So um, the menu has been like the biggest challenge. Um, we started doing a soft opening, and uh, with the soft opening, we realized that people love the stuff that we put out, the mm-hmm. little bit of things that we put out. Okay. Um, I have to scale back on my entire menu because of it, because we can't even keep up with the demand. At the moment, we're selling about 150 and finally as a day. Um, most of them beef and cheese because people just of love course. <laughs> Excuse me, they just love it. Um, so we are... Trying to keep up at this point. So I have to scale back on my menu. It's not even fully printed out yet. Um, <laughs> so we have, we've just been posting it, what the menu is. Uh, but we do have some um, different uh, appetizers. We have like a guava flatbread, mm. uh, a guava barbecue, a homemade guava barbecue sauce that I make. What? Yeah. Um, so we're we gonna put, do to like come. a barbecue chicken flatbread and we do barbecue, uh, guava barbecue chicken, uh, chicken wings. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of empanadas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, just, just different rice and beans. Um, those are more, like, regular. But we trying to do a, we're trying to do a couple things with twists. Um, like, we have a mango lime cilantro vinaigrette mm-hmm. that we're working on. Um, okay. Different things like that. But we have a pastry chef also, um, Chef Medina, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on board. She's my restaurant manager slash uh, pastry chef. So she has some great delicacies. She does a cuatro leche, which is Ooh. the... Tres leche, but fourth one is a coconut milk added to it. Mm. Um, we have little jars of those. We have a passion fruit mango cheesecake right now. Um, and then just things like bread pudding parfaits, coconut bread pudding parfaits, parfaits, um, different things like that on the menu. But we're definitely going to be doing different specials and stuff all the time to just, you know, keep things interesting, keep mm-hmm. things different. you got to build a base with those beef and cheese. Yeah, we have a base. First, yeah, we have our base. And then you can experiment. Absolutely. Yep. Some octopus. We decided to pull, you know, make some octopus last week, yes. and we're making some this week as well. Fried? So. No. Um, it's actually, like, boiled down. It gets Ooh. really tender. Okay. Um, and then we, it's more like a ceviche. Uh, we put it with some um, onions and peppers and, and some olive oil. And citrus juice yeah. or something. Yep. Okay, I'm getting hungry. Um, yeah, if you're just there for the day and you've been prepping in the morning, what do you have for lunch? I don't—I I eat—I don't even know. I I know I end up home <laughs> with an empanadilla twice last—three times last week. <laughs> one of them I left on the counter. I had one bite. The other one was completely cold in my purse. I saw it the next morning. And another one, I literally left it on top of the oven. Like, I keep forgetting to eat, just eat. So I'll, You're like, so munch on busy. something if I can real quick. But we have been so busy, and the support has been so amazing um, that we just I, – I don't I don't eat. So I just <laughs> taste, and I um, I had to weigh myself last week. I lost five pounds, which is great. So Perfect. And you also have a catering side. I had mentioned that I'm in the Leadership Worcester cohort right now, and you did our lunch the other day, which was amazing. The um, plantains? Yes. 
they were the the most uh, not spicy, but they tasted different than any other plantain I'd had. Was there garlic? or Yeah, there was a garlic plantain chip. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because I've only ever had the salty one. Yeah, yeah. So we did the garlic ones for you guys. Nice. And you had the chicken sandwiches and stuff. But yeah, Mm -hmm. we do catering. Um, we're trying to get more into the corporate scene. Sure. um, Just because I mean, there's the everyday sandwiches that you can get, but we want to try to give a little extra. I've had enough club sandwiches in my life. Yeah, yeah. So we have our own type of sandwiches that we can do. Um. So we just kind of have our catering menu. That is kind of more set than my regular menu. Well, that's good. Um, but we've been because we've been doing catering since about September. Oh, okay. To generate some income and stuff, we decided mm-hmm. to do catering was one thing that we could do while we were setting up and getting things ready for the restaurant in the last five months. All right, fellow members, if you hear this, we can absolutely put you in touch with Natalie to get you, you know, that awesome lunch, get some brownie points in your office, be the person with the with the info and the connection. Um, Natalie, otherwise, how can people get in touch with Nuestra? Uh, they can go online. Um, my website's almost done. It's only because of the whole menu thing oh, is course. being held back. <laughs> um, but the website will be um, www.nuestraworcester.com. Uh, which actually in English it means our Worcester, which That's is great. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. so um, we did, definitely Worcester was one thing that we definitely wanted to highlight. Um, and then uh, we also have a Facebook. If you look it up, it's at Nuestra PR Kitchen. And Instagram is actually, we were able to get the name Nuestra with the lowercase n. Awesome. Um, and then you can call us uh, at the restaurant, 508 926 8885. Um, and then, you know, or you could also email us at info at nuestraworcester.com. Or you could just stop in and order Or you could just stop in, get food, and come talk to me. Nice to know that it's portable size because I will be stuffing my purse with empanitas. Right. Um, awesome. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us on The Voice of Business. Thank you so much for having me. Stick around. We'll be back in a minute with the WBJ to talk about their economic forecast 2020. Subscribe to Telegram.com to stay up to date on your business news from in and around central Massachusetts and have that news delivered to your inbox every day by subscribing to our Business at Noon newsletter. Worcester is growing, and so is Telegram.com. So we are ending the show today with a conversation uh, about the economic forecast here in Worcester with Grant Welker, who is the news editor over at the Worcester Business Journal. Grant, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. All right. So let's get right down to it. But first, what is your role over the WBJ? What does news editor mean? So it's a little bit of a – it's very much a shorthand for a lot of different things we do because we have such a small staff. So it is some editing. It's a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of story planning. Shooting photos when it's needed. Of course, so a little on bit of podcast once in a great, great while. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Cool. So every day is different for you. It is, yeah. And that's really what the good. news landscape is about here in Worcester. Yeah, and I think you know, especially the news business being what it is now, it's hard to find people in journalism who probably aren't asked to do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. and to extend themselves about as far as they can just mm-hmm. because um, you know staffs are generally smaller than they used to be, and we have a very small staff, as I said. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're doing everything. We're obviously very Worcester-focused, but we do all of Worcester County and Metro West, so we feel like we're kind of all over the place, but in a good way. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's what you should be. This, of course, the economic uh, outlook, excuse me, the economic forecast edition from December 23rd is the one that we really look forward to at the Chamber. So I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the specifics and then look at those predictions that you made. Awesome? Okay. So... There was a continuation in a slight decline of people saying they felt the central mass economy was in a better condition at that time than in December 2018, but still the majority, so about 70, 
70%, but that shows a little bit of a plateau. So I'm curious how you feel about um, the Worcester economy. We all talk about a renaissance, but, you know, is it sort of finding a sweet spot and staying there or is it still on the move? It is really hard to say. It, it, it seems like more generally even than, than Worcester or the Worcester area, people are kind of just waiting for a recession or waiting for a slowdown just oh, by no. nature of like it's been so long since we've had this long economic expansion mm-hmm. that people are thinking, well, it's only a matter of time. And certainly that's true that, yes, it is only a matter of time, but we don't know when. Mm-hmm. It seems like economists generally feel like there's going to be a slowdown. Okay. And that means in general economic expansion, but also in jobs. Okay. Um, and uh, – Thomas White at Assumption, who does his Western Economic Index, he had his latest update in November that showed that over the last year or so, uh, his index has been roughly flat. Mm-hmm. So that his rely his uh, index relies heavily on jobs. So we're looking at kind of how much more can the Worcester area economy expand in terms of mm-hmm. jobs when the unemployment rate is below three, how much lower can it get? Right, exactly. So then you kind of talk about flatlining or does it even start to contract a bit? Okay. So it, it hasn't run out of momentum yet. Right. Uh, looking, again, more broadly than just Worcester or, or Central Mass, uh, the the stock market is still doing so well. Consumer growth is still strong enough that it is continuing to carry forward. And people kind of keep waiting, too, I think, for, like, when might the trade war really start to bite. Sure. Especially that hits uh, manufacturers mm-hmm, a lot. Mm-hmm. And we do have, especially northern Worcester County, a lot of manufacturing businesses. It's a it's a large component of their uh, economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about trade war tariffs. Uh, we don't know about an actual war. I think that, you know, we're getting certainly far ahead of ourselves there. Mm-hmm. But there's so much unknown that – I could see where that leads some people to be more optimistic at some points than at other points, as we kind of saw in our uh, in our survey. Yeah, exactly. So just a lot of, like you said, unknown. Uh, But the underpinning of where the economy go is going um, has a lot to do with housing and bringing people in. So let's see. uh, Respondents to the WBJ survey, WBJ survey, excuse me, expressed concern over rising housing costs, which as Worcester becomes more popular, you know, rents will naturally increase. And as we get more awareness from Metro West and Boston in terms of people who are willing to make the commute, housing prices are going to go up as well. So I'm curious, um, that increase in people having concern over rising housing costs took place between 2018 and 2019. How did you read that? Is that a big impact, something that we should really take note of, or is it just a, a normal reaction to sort of people becoming aware of Worcester as a place to live, work, and play? I would guess it's more kind of a normal reaction or normal course of events. Uh, you would normally expect to find that rents would go up mm-hmm. that housing costs for you know for sale market would go up because in a healthy economy in an area that is desirable to be in they they would go up right. just simply right. naturally by inflation cost of living etc so it's kind of like uh, you know, it, unless you kind of go into a discussion of what role the government may have to subsidize some housing mm-hmm. for you know affordable low income housing, it's just a matter of mm-hmm. what should what should Worcester and the Worcester area economy what price should it grow at? Right. What what type type of uh, growth do we want to see? Because it certainly goes hand in hand with desirability. Right. If you want more people moving into downtown, for example, or just to Worcester in its entirety prices would go up and you exactly. would want them to go up. Yeah. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be concerned about people at the lower end of the 
price spectrum who may be priced out. Uh, that could certainly be a natural consequence, an unfortunate one, but a natural one of a growing neighborhood, of a growing city, yeah. is that you do have that sort of push and pull of people wanting to move in and mm -hmm. typically people with higher incomes. Mm -hmm. But also that kind of component of it of people saying, can I afford to live where I am long term? And, and that may not be the answer. Um, right. I'm glad you said neighborhoods, too, because I feel like Worcester is filling out. And while I'm still very new to the city um, and, you know, exploring and, and finding out what's going on in the different neighborhoods, there are a lot of options in terms of housing here in the city. But there is definitely room to diversify. Do you find that as well in terms of um, all different levels of housing, you know, multi-homes, the triple-deckers that we have that are characteristic to Worcester in this area of Massachusetts, um, the single families, the luxury apartments that are going up downtown do you think that there's a good mix or do you think there's there's room to grow there is a decent mix there could certainly be more housing downtown i know that's not news mm -hmm. uh, not mm -hmm. to the chamber not to the city administration <laughs> or anybody in terms of wanting to see more density, uh, is where more we're density gonna... you really need that critical mass and i so i'm driving through downtown every day on my way to and from work mm -hmm. so i see if it's long before nine or if it's long after five it gets it can get quiet pretty fast sometimes, right. particularly on weekends, and that's something that certainly needs to be overcome in the long term if you want it to be a city where people are really around all the time. Exactly, uh, they could talk about an eighteen-hour neighborhood, and, and yep. the, the neighborhood's not there yet. But so if you talk about the city, is still. You know, well, I don't uh, know. What shows are you going to at the Palladium? <clears throat> I'm definitely there. I'm just yeah. <laughs> if you look at uh, a map of Worcester, just look at geography, mm -hmm. uh, downtown is so small geographically in terms of the whole city. So a lot of it is not that denser type of housing. You do have the triple deckers. You have multifamily, mm -hmm. certainly, and you have a lot of single family homes as you get spread further out geographically. There could be a lot more, re uh, I'm sorry, uh, residential use above retail next right. to offices mm -hmm. things in the upper floors of of these buildings that's not a unique challenge to Worcester mm -hmm. if you went to any other gateway city it's it's very similar is that you look at a lot of these beautiful old buildings mm -hmm. and if those upper floors are not occupied it really can create uh, a huge missed opportunity in, sure. in terms of having dozens of people get like the the central building next to Mechanics Hall, across Mechanics Hall, mm -hmm. with, I believe it's 55 residential units. And you just talk about all those people that are coming and going who are going to need a place to that's shop. That's 332 Main Street, right? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, and, it's, and people who will just be in that neighborhood and courthouse lofts and, and Lincoln Square, that that's going to be coming online uh, early in the second half of the year with over 100 units. Mm -hmm. And that would really extend downtown, I think, kind of the, its footprint a bit, at least mm -hmm. in terms of maybe how I think of it anyway, where you have the central building, you have Armsby Abbey and those row of businesses exactly. yep. crust. And then just beyond that, you have courthouse lofts. Mm -hmm. And then just beyond that, you have the vocal lofts. And then right. you're talking about the fix mm -hmm. and the places there where if you have more places that are within easy walkable distances to each other, it starts to really expand out. And if you can also fill in in between, mm -hmm. you're talking about the old Elwood Adams building oh, uh, yep. that is uh, has been proposed for new uses but is not yet moving forward. There's still so much opportunity, and there are still so many of these buildings that do have upper floors in particular that are not fully utilized. That, mm -hmm. again, if we want more of a around-the-clock type of neighborhood, it's hugely critical. And I know the city administration knows that, oh, to yeah. get those mm -hmm. buildings more fully utilized. Now, you accurately stated that the 18-hour business improvement district, the 18-hour sort of ambiance that the city is going for – 
isn't quite there yet, definitely on the way. Do you feel like filling in the existing spaces with residential use and retail here and there, um, is that the silver bullet for getting that 18-hour day? I think so. I think it, it, it is still a mix of you'd like to have an office, you'd like to have residential, you'd like to have commercial uses, restaurants, retail. My sense is that it's easier to get people to live in some of these old buildings oh, yeah. and to live in quirky old spaces that, that were once something sell, else than uh, an office mm-hmm, <laughs> where mm-hmm. it's maybe a little bit harder, especially some uh, more modern office spaces that are going to really need a larger open right. floor, floor plans, yeah. for example. But if people want to look at certainly all the old lofts, all the old mill buildings here Mm -hmm. and in other cities where people are really eager to get into because they're so unique, Mm -hmm. uh, I do think it is something that, yeah, you you just need people. We see that with the new Front Street development and with others that if if you have people who are around and maybe they're also working downtown, Mm -hmm. and I know that I think it was a chamber survey that showed there's still very few people who are both living and working downtown. If you can increase that even just by a relatively small portion, but you're Mm -hmm. starting to have people who are walking to work, Mm -hmm. and it just creates more of a vibrant feel to the city, and it's not everyone just hopping in their car and going off to the next town over or wherever they might be doing to going to work. So exactly. listeners, you can't critical. see this, but I'm shaking my head a lot because these are all absolutely good points about getting people into the downtown to increase that density, to improve the economic uh, outlook for 2020. One of the things you did mention though earlier, Grant, is cost of living in terms of attracting people here to the city. Now, one of the obstacles between 2018 and 2019 that was big for um, this survey in terms of showing a difference is that um, high cost of living was seen as tw- uh, an obstacle for 28% of survey respondents in 2018, but that jumped to 38% in 2019. And I'm just curious um, how you feel that's really impacting people. I know 38% isn't a lot, but high cost of living is what people pay attention to when they want to save and they want to have kids and they want to you know, make a life for themselves that's not just get up, go to work, come home, you know, have a quality of life. Right. Yeah, it is 38%, which is not most, but it's the largest of all the ones that were cited, even higher mm-hmm. than taxes, healthcare costs. Um, yeah, well, okay, uh, if you're a business, uh, costs are always going up. But mm-hmm. if you're an employee, uh, if you're a worker, your pay is not always going up quite accordingly. And if you're <laughs> talking about healthcare costs, certainly that's something that is weighed by the employee born by the employer, but yep. it's not like a, an employee sees that as a benefit that their health care costs are higher on their on their employer. So mm-hmm. it is it, it is tough. You, I've I've read a lot of stories, especially with the close of the year and the close of the decade, that people are showing how much this expansion has benefited the entire economy, mm-hmm. or some people in that economy. The expansion, but if you, the economic most- expansion, which is I mean more more uh, broadly geographically, but. Um, how it doesn't carry up enough people. And I, it sounds like I'm getting political and I'm mm-hmm. not meaning to be. But um, in terms of uh, the typical pay is not rising accordingly for what you might expect to see for having an employment rate so low. Oh, good. So the conversations that I have with my husband every day about being millennials and having baby boomer <laughs> parents are not just in my house. Okay, yes, good. That's right. Yeah, it, it is very hard. And, and um, that, that that touches on people in a lot of, uh, a lot of industries is that it, it's not rising accordingly. So... I think that is certainly a, a, a factor, absolutely. When I see high cost of living, so I think of both 
that's a challenge and an opportunity, I would think, for Western, for Central Mass, where you want to talk about cost of living here or cost of living in Boston oh or Cambridge or Somerville or Waltham, et cetera. It's not even close. Right. And I look at it every quarter we get property reports for the mm-hmm. area of, of mm-hmm. what it costs per square foot for uh, industrial space or commercial space in Boston or Cambridge, especially Kendall Square, the oh, Seaport, yeah. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's many multitudes higher per square foot than in Worcester or in Metro West. Mm -hmm. So there's such an opportunity there for companies that see cost of living as being such a huge problem for them that you can still have that access to the same workforce, as as people will mention. It's still the same uh, school system, still the same um, higher education system. And you are in the same uh, ecosystem to use that kind of cliche, but you can be so much more affordable in Worcester or in Metro West in this, in this, you know, in, in central mass and, and still be uh, so close by to all that you want to be near, right. but, but at a fraction of the cost. So I, I, I see that as both, again, a, a certainly something that people wouldn't say is, is a, is a positive thing, but it is an attribute that if cost of living is a concern, then, uh, we have the space. <laughs> exactly. Here. I think uh, two examples of what you're talking about in terms of opportunity can be seen in the reactory up in the biomedical park, as well as right nearby the um, VA coming into the UMass Med campus. I think that's a great move for Central Mass. It was a missed opportunity before then, having to go either to Northampton or to West Roxbury, which are you know, 40, 50 miles in either direction. So we're showing that there are opportunities here in terms of um, attracting those national level um, organizations, but also in the small restaurants and the small cultural organizations that are thriving here as well. Uh, yeah, the reactory is definitely one story we're, we're watching this upcoming year. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much uh, will happen by the end of 2019, by the end of 2020. These are uh, slow growths. Yeah, they're certainly <laughs> slow. Um, that's something that we'll still track in terms of how much progress is made. The old, uh, the last building, one of the last buildings anyway, um, in the old state hospital is close to coming down. Uh, so yeah, how, how does that shape up in terms of bringing in tenants that mm-hmm. would, that would locate there? Um, Greendale Mall is certainly not going to reach any kind of resolution uh, by the end of 2020, but uh, that's a huge story that you just think of. There's so many uh, older and closed malls of that era mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are either have been remade or are soon to be remade as more mixed use outdoor right. oriented malls. Uh, there's one in Woburn, uh, Watertown, one in Hanover. The Hanover Mall is, is about mm-hmm. to be made in that way. Uh, Swansea. What's your best guess, Grant, in terms of what's going to happen to it? So I, I think it... it Mixed use certainly sounds right. right. A- absolutely. Mm-hmm. I I wonder how much, and I think they've said there wouldn't be so much retail involved. Mm-hmm. My sense of it is that it wouldn't do so well if it did have a lot of retail, just because That's if you look at now. you look at the um, right, you look at how much competition has come in line just in the last few years um, with uh, with Lakeway Commons, mm-hmm. um, and then you, you know. Shops at Blackstone Valley, yep. uh, Northborough Crossing, those are certainly a little bit older. But in terms mm-hmm. of how much more retail is in this area since the Greendale Mall was built, right? <laughs> um, and even with the Galleria no longer, uh, of course, being here, we still have so much more retail. Mm-hmm. And it can feel like we're maybe, if not overbuilt, it's more on that range of like, uh, of do we really need 
more retail like that? Like how sure. how how mm-hmm. successful could it be? Um, to kind of go back to downtown for a minute, um, you know, the the city is part of the state's uh, vacant storefront yes, program. I love that program. And there are uh, there are dozens of them. There's dozens mm-hmm. of vacant storefronts, and certainly that type of space is different than. Uh, something you might find in like a, a lifestyle shopping center. Mm-hmm. But either way, uh, I think any any new retail has to be done in a mix where like maybe it's uh, right downstairs or right next mm-hmm. to an office. Mm-hmm. Or housing doesn't seem to make as much sense there, just the way that the site it's is kind of... not very accessible. Yeah, it's kind of hemmed in by train tracks on one side and a highway and kind of... Uh, Another high, highway. High, yeah, high... And then Higgins <laughs> is right there. Yeah, it doesn't really make uh, as much sense to me as for housing. I could certainly see office. It's okay. so accessible from the highway. You do have um, Reliant Medical Group has a, mm-hmm. a big office right next door. Mm-hmm. Um, so not office use with some amount of retail and maybe a few restaurants. I think that sounds right to me. All right. Well, let's follow up on that in a few months and see if there's been any progress in terms of what we know about what's going to go into Greendale. As the voice of local business, the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce works hard to foster a dynamic environment of entrepreneurship and economic success. Our members benefit from a broad portfolio of services, including advocacy, economic development activity, and programming efforts. Is your business a member? Check out more at WorcesterChamber.org or on social media at Worcester Chamber. On the flip side of cost of living, the number of respondents concerned about locating job seekers, and Grant, you had been talking about workforce being the same as what you'll find in Boston here with skilled workers in Worcester. Um, So those concerned about finding local job seekers with the right skills for their open positions decreased from 72% in 2018 to 38% in 2019. That's marked decrease. What do you think is the cause for that assuredness? I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) That's a good question that's better meant for them than me. Um, I I would say maybe it it shows that some of the job retraining programs that that we have, whether it's – at a career center or a community colleges or elsewhere are, are doing their jobs in terms of connecting people to where there are jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's something that I've written about time here and there uh, in terms of even in such a strong economy, you do have people who are out of work. But if you're not matched up with where the jobs are, you need to be retrained mm-hmm. in, in all likelihood. So there is certainly a lag time between if I got laid off, but I had to find or wanted to find a job in healthcare, I couldn't just magically walk in and start exactly. a job in healthcare. There'd yeah. be certainly some training needed. So uh, that could tell me that, that that retraining is taking place and that, um, again, it's a, a workforce center or community colleges or elsewhere that they're they're connecting people to the training they need so that they're able to be matched up with where there are opportunities in the job market. In addition to connecting people who might already be here who are making a career change or a move for a spouse's job, what have you, do you think that uh, the quote-unquote brain drain is also being plugged a little bit in terms of getting local college students to stay here with positions maybe via internships that had happened while they were still in school or just career fairs, things like that? It could be, yeah, certainly. I, I've always thought that uh, that ought to be one of the very highest priorities, at least in the economic development for for Worcester, or in ter- maybe more broadly than economic development. But you have uh, tens of thousands of college students who are here every year. Mm-hmm. You're ar- they're already within the city limits. <laughs> uh, they're already committed enough that they're at least living in a dorm or they have yep. an off-campus apartment. 
what can you do to keep them here? Mm-hmm. And certainly, whether it's an internship or something else that embeds them in some way in the community, you have like such like a built-in advantage, like to to keep them here. Exactly. Yeah. And certainly, there are family or relationship or other considerations that may draw those students back home if they're not from this area or mm-hmm. out of the area. But there ought to be a lot of those students who are maybe on the fence, mm-hmm. or maybe they would go into Boston, or mm-hmm. maybe they go to any other city. But they could also stay here. And can you get more of those students to stay? And and uh, I'm not sure what the answer exactly is, whether it's um, some type of private-public thing, but certainly in terms of connecting businesses to those students to show you can stay here. Maybe if you're in an off-campus apartment, you can even stay in your apartment. Uh, or maybe you want to upgrade. <laughs> but But there are jobs here. And to have so many young adults mm-hmm. in Worcester every single year coming out with a degree is a humongous opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great built-in advantage for Worcester. Uh, and I have always felt like it, like that's something that, and maybe that's certainly part of it too, is those those graduates coming out are being better connected to those jobs. I mm-hmm. uh, certainly hope so. Students, the built-in advantage. <laughs> For economic development. Actually, I'd spoken to 1024 uh, Dave Crouch over there. Mm-hmm. He said that when he moved from Northborough to Worcester, his uh, retention of interns and able to his ability to change them from interns to full-time or at least part-time employees just exponentially grew because he was in the area of the city where they wanted to be. They weren't asked to commute out to Northborough. They could still hang with people who were juniors or maybe sophomores when they were in school. So it, it is a win-win like you're describing. Yeah, and they're in a great location too, right right downtown where yep. you do have uh, a lot of residences nearby, um, some college students too. Becker has, uh, mm-hmm. has a, a building right near there. Um, QCC has, has some um, services uh, in the same building. Yep, yep. So let's um, hope 2020 brings a little bit more focus on students and seeing what they need to stay here in Worcester. Awesome. And I wanted to touch on a couple of the predictions that you guys oh, make sure. every year. Oh, yeah. Um, namely Polar Park. Let's let's start there. That's the big story that's happened. I think I'd say the past three years it's been a pretty big story, hasn't it? It, it maybe has been three years now. Yeah. What's it like it's covering been a while. Polar Park? <laughs> I didn't mention how many different things we have to keep track of, right? I know. Yeah. So it's both a very small piece, but also the biggest piece, mm-hmm. probably, in terms of again, if you want to talk about what a what a priority is, or what a you know, in this case, what a, a bet it is, the city is making on. Mm-hmm making a bet that this investment will pay off. Okay. So um, that's something we're tracking both in terms of right now, uh, I, I try to drive by every week or two nice. just to see kind yep. of how, how things are going. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the timeline aspect of it yeah. that um, I, I still think it'll open on time. I think the team will do what it takes to Yeah, I mean, to you can't really open, miss opening day. Open. Yeah, it, 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 it's tough because it, you, then you kind of go, well, where else are they going to play? Do they open the season on the road? Maybe that's a possibility, but... I, I think they probably would want to do what they can to make sure that it opens on time. Even if mm-hmm. I have noticed they, they're working on, on weekends, right. at least on Saturdays mm-hmm. already. So I, I think they're probably making sure that they're moving as quickly as they can. Uh, well, recently it just came out the other day that there are um, some cost overruns of mm-hmm. about $30 million so far, both in terms of issues with the site, with moving some existing bu- businesses. That's something to watch. Yep. Uh, more in, strictly speaking to the business community, uh, we're watching uh, some of the related development uh, on the other side of uh, Madison Street in particular to yep. see how that comes together. 
that's something that, again, if we're talking about people wanting to live in these types of neighborhoods. Oh, the Canal District so this is a great place. This is something where uh, it really hasn't been until very recently that you've had any type of mass of people like this living there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the new Kelly Street, uh, Kelly Square Lofts that opened last summer right. with uh, about 50 units. Those are the ones right above the uh, public the, market, okay, right? Yep, nice. that's right. And the okay. market's are still open next month. Yep. Um, so it's really a test of, uh, of having, I think it's 350 or so total uh, residential units that will okay. be in that mixed-use development, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, several hundred hotel rooms, mm-hmm. other retail space, office space. Yep. So a really look of like how much more uh, demand is there and how much more space can be absorbed into the neighborhood and how much mm-hmm. demand in terms of people wanting to live next to or right nearby a ballpark. Yeah, uh, how much How much of a draw is that? Um, well, I mean, think about we, Back Bay. How many people want to live right by Fenway? It just so happens yeah. that Back Bay is a really nice neighborhood. Um, and hopefully that'll right. be the same when Canal District is finished. But that's right. what I see. Yeah. And I'm curious about the juxtaposition of – Businesses that existed in the Canal District and, t- and took the gamble on that neighborhood before all of this was put into place, the public market that is just a, a generator of small businesses, and then the retail space that needs to be filled when the um, surrounding development is finished next to the ballpark and, and around the ballpark. I and the chamber, you know, in terms of social media and our communications department, we've been pushing some hashtags, which is a very grassroots level marketing thing, but hashtag shop woo if you want to shop locally. And also, excuse me, <coughs> hashtag shop local, um, just to get the word out that those businesses are still in operation down there. They're welcoming you all the time. There's shuttles to get you down there. You know, they're doing everything they can to make you aware that the canal district is still open for business. Yeah, the city would really want to have as many of those businesses as reasonably mm-hmm. could be uh, to stay right. because they kind of they have made the neighborhood what it is, and they give it more of an authentic feel than if it was just all new businesses kind of starting right. over from mm-hmm. scratch. Um, in, in terms of the the public market, I'm I'm really anxious to see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an amenity that Worcester has not had before. Uh, you see these food halls that are really growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. And today, mm-hmm. Boston has, I think, six now. Wow! Including some, I think, three that opened just in like the last year or so. Oh my gosh! Well, let's uh, let's have the one. It's not. Yeah. So you start with one, but it, it's something that is moving. I, I, I did a story on this last summer, looking at <clears throat> how they're moving from uh, Boston, New York, LA, the biggest cities, mm-hmm. down to smaller ones. Um, Providence has one that's just uh, uh, plant-based foods, if I remember right. So okay. it's little- it really goes into a niche. <laughs> uh, Portland uh, Portland has a small one, and they're they're looking to open a second one on the edge of the city. So they are moving down to the, to smaller cities, and uh, so it, it's a measure of uh, can it take advantage of enough people living and working nearby? It's a neighborhood that, again that has not had especially a ton of residents, right? A lot of, not a lot of daytime workers. Mm-hmm. So can it take advantage of who is there, and can mm-hmm. it bring in people? Uh, certainly the ballpark will bring in more people to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But until then, uh, mm-hmm. you have Kelly Square being remade. Yep. That's certainly a challenge for people looking to get, come to and from the uh, the market. Uh, so it, it'll it'll have to draw from outside the canal district right? for people who want to go there, whether it's a work break or after work or weekends, certainly, things like that. It, it, 
it's really a close one to watch in terms of how that could remake help remake the neighborhood along with and we've the got a, and a small but mighty member who i have to give a shout out to here who can actually help do that it's called ride the woo mm-hmm. uh you guys covered them recently they just bought their first trolley so it's going to be a trolley system that goes with the games and just brings people around the area yeah yeah that sounds good i mean <laughs> sure. yeah. if, if you can be safe that's good yeah and especially with um uh, remember Ofo, the bike, the bike share program that well, oh, maybe yes. it was before your time, yeah. It, but I know about. But it, if, yeah. <laughs> um, so there are opportunities for people to uh, get around without driving their own car, and that that uh, that company went out of business, or at least did locally. Um, but at least this is a new way for people to find their way around. They can just leave their car at home or, mm-hmm. or park at a, like a satellite lot and still find their way uh, in or around downtown. So that's that's a great amenity to have. Perfect. All right, Grant, it's January 13th, so we're not really even into the first quarter yet, but how would you paint this beginning of 2020, beginning of a new year, beginning of a new decade? Oh, boy, that's a lot. That's a, I get to come up with a broad that's brush. A slam it on you right at the end. So there's, there, it's always good to have so much to watch. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, it, you know, whether we're looking at Polar Park and everything there, uh, I mentioned uh, the Courthouse Lofts, mm-hmm. Greendale Mall, uh, there's always the Midtown Mall as well, which whatever yes. happens with that. Um, we have some of the restaurants that are coming into Mercantile Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that can kind of keep expanding too. Right. you know, restaurants going hand in hand with with uh, residential use, office use. So I think it's kind of just looking at kind of all these things and kind of how much how this trend continues, this mm-hmm. growth continues. Mm-hmm. Um, uh I don't want to get like storm clouds on the horizon, but I talked about the recession because it's, it is something that people are thinking of oh, and yeah. it's a matter of when, not if, and it doesn't mean that it's certainly not tomorrow, but there are always, anytime there's a recession or a slowdown, there are projects left on the drawing board mm-hmm. and can a place like Worcester or other gateway cities that are often hit first, whether it's a Fitchburg, Gardner or otherwise, mm-hmm. can they keep that momentum going strong enough and long enough before there might be a slowdown. So you kind of want to like, I, I feel like you both obviously want to be patient because projects take a long time, but also want to keep that momentum going as much and as strong as you can, because um, you never know when that momentum stops. <laughs> so uh, it's good to kind of keep track of a lot of these different things and, and, and see how it goes and, and make some predictions. And sometimes we're very wrong and Sometimes we probably play it more safe than we should. But it's good to put something out there, but 12 months ahead of time and then check back in on it. It's good. Yeah, we even we even rate ourselves. We give a check mark when we got it right and a big red X when we got it wrong. All right. Well, Grant Welker, news editor over at the WBJ. This was wonderful. Let's do it again in six months and then sure. in a year and Absolutely. see where we are. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so very much. much for being on The Voice of Business. You've been listening to The Voice of Business, a podcast from the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce, sponsored by Worcester Regional Airport, in partnership with The Telegram and Gazette. 